In the fall each year we all congregate The bound all gathered at the church of Pilgrim The scriptures reading from the book of Monson Our favorite verse, my God, a precious Drunk and obnoxious, what Georgia faith Ain't nothing finer in the land Now the 3,000 of our best friends It's Saturday in that thing Welcome to the Saturday in Athens podcast. I am your host, Seth Saunders. We are thrilled today to be joined by our next guest in our Georgia Story interview series. Today we have Katie Foley-Jacobs with us. Katie is a 2005 grad of the University of Georgia. She was a member of the equestrian team in her time in Athens. She is the founder and owner of the Cheeky Peach. She is an Arch Award recipient, a, has been named a UJ Alumni Association 40 Under 40 list, and she has been included multiple times on the Bulldog 100. Katie, thank you so much for being with us today. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Thank you. So I want to start this way. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing. So my understanding is you grew up outside the Atlanta area. Tell us a little bit about that um, and how your path got started before you got to UGA. I did. Well, actually, I sort of had like a little bit of a sandlot upbringing. We, um, my, my, my parents moved to Metro Atlanta right around the time of the Olympics, but I spent, I feel like the formative part of my childhood outside of Chicago. So, um, I grew up with my best friend next door, the only other girl in the neighborhood and then all boys. So we ran around in this huge crew of just like rough and tumble boys. We were, I mean, truly like eighties babies on bikes from morning to night. Parents never knew where we were. We had so much independence and, um, I credit a lot of that and, and my parents sort of giving that independence to us, to who I am now. And, um, you know, started riding horses at that point, my best friend, Katie next door, Katie as well. She was really into horses. She was like, we've got to start riding. And she's my best friend and older than me and so cool. And I've always, you know, just, she's like my sister. So I was like, yes, we have to start riding. So our parents <laughs> just dropped. I remember like we did this summer camp when, I mean, we were little and this guy like picked us up in a van and we like sat on like a paint bucket and rode out to a farm. And then we just had like free reign. It was so different than anything that would happen now, but in the best possible way, because I think it was so formative in um, creating such a sense of independence and responsibility. So we started riding together and then we moved to Metro Atlanta and I got really serious about riding. And um, yeah, it just sort of took off from there. When I was 17, I went to national finals and competed in one ribbons. And so it just, um, it's just always been such an important piece of, um, I think who I am as a person um, is that that upbringing and um, having the ability to ride and, um, you know, being a barn rat, for lack of a better way of putting it. I love that. So I didn't I didn't know Chicago was a piece of your story. So so yeah. where where outside of Chicago did you did you grow up? Highland Park, which oh, unfortunately yeah. is known for now. uh the, the shooting that happened two years ago on the 4th of July. Um, but yeah, a great, like idyllic, I mean, really and truly, like when I say Sandlot, it was just, it was just that in my memory. So I, it's such a special part of, you know, and going from that to being in a subdivision was such a different feel. I didn't really even understand that sort of like, you know, Metro Atlanta development. We moved yeah. and I remember calling my friend. I was like, we live in this huge house. It's so crazy in these like streets. And like you go through like, like there's a neighborhood and there's like this brick thing. And it says the neighborhood name. I was like trying to explain a subdivision because we had never yeah. seen that. We were just in this little like house out, you know. So anyway, it, it was um, all of it was very formative and cool. So does that mean your allegiances as a kid were with Chicago teams or maybe still with Chicago teams like Cubs, Sox, Bears? so much bull smack when we like <laughs> shoot around with the kids outside. It's so fun. I'm like, I grew up in Chi-Town, like da 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 da, da. <laughs> And I, um, I mean, I was there like at the height, you know, yeah, yeah. last dance days. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I remember going to one of my other best friends, Lindsay's house for like all those playoff games and yeah I mean it's like but in terms of like you know I'm just I'm a Bulldogs fan and and when you're 
husband has played professional athletics, you understand that like you really start rooting for people and not necessarily yeah. teams. Like I love seeing the bears win. Obviously I love seeing the bulls win, but um, I'm just, I'm, I'm really more of a, a bulldog person at this point. <laughs> yeah. I, I totally get that. You know, I, we talked off air and I have had teammates that have played professionally and it changed my perspective on it too, because you oh, start yeah. to understand like a, the journey of all that. So seeing guys make it, I think is just as, as much to root for as, as the teams themselves. I think the other piece of it is I worked for a short time in grad school as a PR assistant for, at the time, they're the Redskins, now the commanders. Mm -hmm. And I think too, when you see the sausage be made a little bit, oh yeah, it just changes the perspective. It certainly changed my, my viewpoint on, on pro football for sure. And kind of made the rooting experience a little bit different. So um, Absolutely. I do. Well, yeah. And you, you know, the purity of college athletics, it is the, the most beautiful the sport can be because when you make it a business, it, it's a business. It's, it's by nature, it becomes more transactional. So, um, yeah, absolutely. And, and just what you're saying that you see how the sausage is made. It's like you, you start to see the 360 view of it all of, of, of athletics. So I also think there's something beautiful and organic about the inherent community of, okay. um, of college athletics, because for example, like you guys were student athletes, but you're going to class with this huge community of folks who aren't student athletes, but y'all are all part of the same thing and the same institution. And I think there's just such a different passion and rooting interest to that because it's yours, even if you didn't play it. Right. So Absolutely. I, I think that's a beautiful piece of it. So you talked about how riding was such a big part of your childhood and formative years. When you got to high school, did it become a thing where, okay, I want to do this collegiately or were there doubts about doing that? What was the path to, to being on the equestrian team at UGA? Equestrian is really a, a, an interesting sport and kind of an outlier. And that when you come to a collegiate situation, you're a, on a team for the first time. So you ride independently and for yourself until you join um, a college team. And then you go back to being independent, which is really oh, interesting. interesting. Yeah. yeah it's really a, a, an interesting dynamic. When I was riding in high school, at that point, I was trying to figure out, am I going to go to one of these, like get a scholarship through to one of these like really cool private school? Like, what am I, or am I going to go to a big school and what kind of experience am I looking for? Or do I not want to do any of that and go um, be like a working student and make this my profession? So I had a few avenues I could go down. I ended up going to the University of Kentucky for two years. I, when I was horse showing there really competitively, I fell in love with um, the bluegrass and the Rolex field there. And I was yeah. really like, that's what it's going to be like. <laughs> and I got there yeah. and it was, um, this is two years before, um, any of the, uh, like equestrian was still a club sport. Mm -hmm. So I went and rode there for a year and it was very rough and tumble. I wasn't really accepted on the team because I, um, was a lot more advanced than, and I don't mean not to be rude. It just was a club sport. And I was coming yeah. in. I was coming from being the best in the country. So it wasn't well received. Um, and I just kind of thought, I don't really want to do this anymore. And then my sophomore year, my friend called me and she was like, Hey, this is like, there's a shakeup happening. Like these teams are going to like go NCAA and you could, you know, potentially get a scholarship, like come down, let's shoot a video. So I shot a video, sent it to Georgia for, um, you know, recruiting purposes. And they called me up. They were like, come on a, a visit. And I came to, I already knew I wanted to leave Kentucky. I just, it just wasn't the right fit for me as a school and as a culture. And so, um, I came down to Georgia and I remember touring and I had, you know, obviously been to Athens and all of that. And, um, at the end of my tour, the assistant coach, it wasn't McGon, it was the assistant coach. She looks at me, she goes, so what's it, you know, what's it going to take for you to get, you know, get to you to Georgia? And I looked at her, I go, not much. And my mom's like, hey, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> you need a scholarship, shut up. But I'm just like, I'm like, I'm in, I'll sign today. Like yeah. I'm, my heart is here. And, you know, and I'll never forget going to that first tailgate and like before a football game, I, I just got chills thinking about it. I still, when I step foot on North campus, I get chills. It's just 
there's no better experience than being a, a collegiate athlete at UGA than, than being a student athlete at UGA. I feel so, ab I, I mean, lucky doesn't even begin to cover how I feel about my time there. So it was sort of a winding road and sorry for the long story, but it, um, I, I just ended up being where I needed to be. And I, I just credit so much of my success to what I learned on that team. So was O3 then your first fall in Athens? Yeah, that's right. Oh, what a great time to be there, right? I know. Like I feel yeah. like the football team with Coach Rick was really kind of yep. escalating and becoming what they yeah. would become under him. I mean, what a cool time to be there. It was. Um, yeah, so what's interesting is that fall, I think it was O3 fall. Yeah, O3 fall was also my first visit to Athens. Wow. We, we came at the end of fall practice. Oh, yeah. to visit to visit a friend and ended up going to uh, Georgia Auburn for our first oh, wow. ever. Yeah, it was unbelievable. And so yeah. you're I'm, indoctrinated the, at that. Yeah, point. we like we fell in love with Athens. We fell in love with going to the games. The same thing. Like we went to our friend. We went to her mama's tailgate at like seven in the morning, and we were both same. looking at you, my brother and I. Like, what in the hell is going on right same. now? <laughs> same. Like this is unbelievable. So yeah, we've yeah. been, we've been hooked ever since, but yeah, it's, it's just a magical place. So now I want you to broaden the scope on this a little bit, because it may be something that our listeners don't know as well as they should, but we're not talking like UGA has some ho-hum equestrian program. Like no. UGA's equestrian program is awesome. Like top notch, top notch multiple national titles. So like yep. speak on being part of that, especially at the beginning of the program being an NCAA sport and, you know, the pride you feel about that and the connection you still have to your former teammates in the program itself. Yeah. I mean, it's so funny. It's to go and see what the program. So I went and spoke to the team February um, and to go and see their locker room. I'm just like, Oh my gosh, this is wild. Like from yeah. beginnings, truly we were, um, riding out of, um, like we were sort of like this program, no one quite knew what to do with. And, um, coach M was 27 and really young and had all of like, we had like 70 girls and all these big personalities and attitudes and no one had ever been on a team. So there, and no one knew there was no precedent for it. Like it was such, it was kind of the wild west. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I credit Coach M so much for, I can't imagine what that job was like, like sitting where I am today as a leader. I'm like, that was such an undertaking. And she really did it with so much poise and so beautifully. I just credit her for, for having the fortitude to like stick with it because I, that was not for the faint of heart to deal with what she was dealing with. And, um, the, the culture of equestrian is just really interesting and different. And I can't really, it's hard to speak to that unless you understand it from the inside, but to yeah. take that group of women and create a team was difficult. And she did it really well. And, um, you know, winning the national championship was incredible, but I, and I told the team this, my best memories, like, yeah, that was awesome. My best memories are those five thirty workouts running stadiums with my, to this day, best friend and us just being, you know, like a girl with weighted belt and, you know, weights on our ankles from soccer, just like smoking us and us being like, oh my gosh, you know, just like this <laughs> funny, those are the things that as an athlete, and my husband says it too. He's like, yeah, he won. I mean, he went to the college world series. Like mm -hmm. some of his best memories are from like the smaller games that no one knows or talks or thinks about much anymore. Like it's those little moments, I think as an athlete where the team meshes or where, you know, everyone's just bonding. It's like, I think that's, and that's what creates the national championship. It's or mm -hmm. the college world series. It's not you. It's, it's those moments and how, how, how you create that team dynamic that, that really matters. And, and, and it was, when, you know, at inception, not easy. And um, yeah, I just like, I just, I hold um, coach M in such high regard for what she was able to do and has continued to be able to do. Cause that's not easy either. I think the connection thing is a great point. And I also think it's relevant to what's happening within the football program right now. You know, that has become such a harping point on their culture is Absolutely. that, you know, what is my teammates? Why? So I don't not only understand why I'm here, but also why they're here. 
it kind of establishes that motivation. Like to your point, when we get together for our alumni events with, with my baseball teammates, it's rare that you talk about a particular game. It's always something else like sure. initiation or like you said, like early workouts or something crazy from a road trip or whatever. The road? Oh yeah yeah, yeah. 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 So it's all, it's always something like that, which, yeah, I think that, I think that's a great point. So we love a good love story here. And I, I want you to tell us about, um, the role sons of Italy played in your oh love story. Oh my gosh. How did you know about that? We do our, the best research that we can. <laughs> that is so funny. That that's a deep dive. So I lived across from sons of Italy. <laughs> awesome. Perfect. Location. <laughs> I mean, if anybody knows sons of Italy is like these electric spool tables covered yeah. in like really junky plastic and, um, you know, pitchers of beer for four bucks and like some of the worst, best pizza in Athens. <laughs> and, um, I lived across the street from sons of Italy. So inevitably, if anyone was ever there, they called me and on Sundays, Sundays were like a big day, like evening, early evening. Cause yeah. would all, all the athletes would sort of none of the athletes, but all the athletes would sort of like, right. get up there and just like, you know, have a pitcher of beer or whatever. Cause you could get in better. You know, it's just like, that was the time that sort of worked. So, um, one of my best friends was, um, at the time her was convoluted. Her best friend played for Georgia. He was a pitcher. He had just gotten out of a relationship. I just gotten out of a relationship. She's like, we should all meet up at Suns and let's go have a beer. So we all, um, went and had a beer and, um, JJ was this pitcher's roommate and he showed up and, you know, I didn't hit it off with his best friend, Ryan, who's like one of my best friends now too. But, um, he and I sort of were like, oh yeah, we we've met before, you know, we've hung out before equestrian and baseball always sort of had a connection. Um, he was just really, really into me. <laughs> That's right. That's right. He, he would. He ended up sort of like, I was like, oh, okay. Like, I just don't really want to date an athlete though. And baseball players, they, they talk and I just, eh, I'm not interested in that. And, um, he just was relentless <laughs> and we all ended up, he really was. And we all ended up just hanging out all the time. The four of us just had like a lot of fun together. So, um, we would all just, end up hanging and chatting. And I sort of found us always JJ and I like in a corner talking about things you shouldn't talk about politics and religion and, you know, all these great things. And we just, um, started having like a deeper connection. And I remember we went and, um, picked up the boys one morning. We're like, Hey, we got invited to play kickball. We need some ringers. So we took the guys. And I remember just like looking at my husband and being like, Oh my, that was like the day I looked in his eyes. And I was like, he of course found a way to be on my team. <laughs> And I, oh my God, I'm like in love with this guy. And then from there on out, we were engaged within eight months and literally after that day in eight months. And then we got married really quickly. And 15 years later, three sons, a business, and here we are. So, oh, I love that. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. Of course. And, you know, yeah. we're not, we're not biased or anything, but we think you made an excellent choice given his <laughs> choice of position. So <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> not that we love catchers more than the rest, but we kind of do. So, you know, yeah. it's funny. My, my oldest son has started catching at little league. And I think it's, you know, what my husband said in the perspective he gave me, and you can relate to this is like, one of the coolest thing about being a catcher is like, you're the only one that sees the whole team. Like you're mm -hmm. the, everyone's looking at you and you are looking out at all the other players. And I think that perspective is um, from a leadership standpoint, really interesting and unique in terms of college athletics. There's not like, if you think about that unique position to actually sit in, you know, quite literally, it's like, that's, that's so interesting. Um, and I'd never thought about that. And, you know, it's really Man. cool. How cool for y'all that your son's doing it. My, my oldest son is left-handed. So obviously I thought, well, he's never going to get to catch. Right. And by happenstance, the way the stuff has worked out this season, he's actually caught some games, even left-handed. Yeah. And so I took a picture of him in all the gear. Yeah. And I sent it to like my dad and my brothers and my sister. And I was like, I'm kind of in my feels on this right now. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I bet. So, yeah, As was, you should was, be. It was really cool. You know, he's left-handed. So I kept telling him, I said, look, man, if you can stand upright and, and you're breathing and you're left-handed, man, you got a chance to pitch. So <laughs> pitch yeah. when you can. And so he, <laughs> yeah. he's, been, he's been doing that a little bit too. So it's been good. I told him either one though, pitching or catching, 
you got the ball every time, which right. not nobody else in baseball can say that. So, that's well, exactly. that's awesome. So that, that kind of pivots right into my next question. So when y'all got done in Athens, he's playing professionally. Were y'all centrally located or were y'all kind of hopscotching with each new spot? Oh, hopscotch. I mean, he, and then I would like go live at home and he, you know, we were just trying to figure it out. I was trying, we were trying to scrape by, we had no money. We had, Mm -hmm. I would go live with my parents. He would go play wherever he was playing and then we would miss each other. So I would go where he was. And like, I worked some of the weirdest odd jobs. I mean, I, um, but they taught, you know, one of the things they did is like teach me so much. And I took every, all of those odd jobs as great opportunities, um, I worked at some papers, stringing, doing some photojournalism stuff, which is what I studied. And um, we just sort of like, just always pieced it together, but it was just always mm-hmm. some ramshackle because it was that lifestyle. I mean, you never know when you're going to move up or down or where you're going to be or when you're going to get, you know, canned. It's just, it's, it's difficult. It's really, uh, there's a lot of pressure there and no money. So um, in the minor leagues, so it's just, it's a difficult, um, it's, it's a difficult life. Yeah. So I, my, my old teammate, old roommate, he's now my oldest son's godfather made his way all the way up through the minor mm-hmm. leagues. I mean, hit every single rung on the way up and finally had, um, a few stints in the bigs, but I always tell him like, Hey man, I'm glad you made it. But I loved when you were in the minors. Cause I loved going to the different towns. Oh, yeah. So I want to know, do you have a particular town that y'all had an affinity for during all his stops? One you liked better than the others. I mean, we, because I spent a summer with him in Brooklyn, we just like, we have so much love for Brooklyn and our neighborhood yeah. we lived in, but like, we went to some of the weirdest places. And, oh yeah. <laughs> like Lowell, Massachusetts. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, the spinners. Um, I, it's wild. Uh, the spinners, yeah. yeah. And then like Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, uh, where the heck? Lakeland, Florida. I mean, just like yeah. these places you're like, I would yeah. never have gone here. Mm-hmm. probably for a good reason you know for some of them like some of them, <laughs> right. it was really cool like I got to see Amish town like I got yeah. to live in Brooklyn like it you know so um but honestly the fans the the Cyclones fans are wild and so great and so like I would sit next to a family that was were our neighbors who helped us find our you know teeny tiny little apartment and um basement apartment and Paul, who's like my buddy, like his wife literally taught me how to cook. Um, He'd be sitting next to me at a game and, you know, JJ would, you know, uh, miss something or, you know, have a, have a bad at bat. He'd be like, you bum Jacobs. I'm like, Paul, like get it together. (laughs) But that's Brooklyn fans. They are like, no. And you're just like, I mean, yeah, I guess he is kind of a bum. (laughs) He struck out. I guess he is a bum, but it's, um, those are, you know, and and like the minor leagues are just wild. It's so fun. So yeah, I, but I mean, to have a cup of coffee for your friend, how cool is that? You know, it's just, and you just, when you see the guys and JJ coached at Georgia. So like, like Kyle Farmer, who he coached who, you know, I mean, it's like, that's so cool to see him go and, and, and do what he's doing. And you're just like, there's such a sense of pride in that. So, um, anyone that can make it, man, they have my mad respect. Cause that's, that's really difficult. It, it's a grind. I always tell people, you know, and, and my buddy would, would be the first one to tell you this, you know, if you had forecasted out when we were playing, if he was the one that was going to make it, I, if you took card counts and everybody, he probably wouldn't have been the top of everybody's list. Right. And it's right. just the amount of, performing you have to do on a consistent basis at every single level it's just it's rigorous especially you know my buddy was real real late I think 28th 29th round or something so he signed for like pack of cards and some bubble gum you know yeah same yeah Yeah. and so there you're just a number at that point to them you're not they don't have anything invested and so it's it's just crazy that that climb um I'm gonna tell you a, a interesting Brooklyn story uh that you will it's just the most useless information possible. But since you live there and you love it, I'm going to tell it to you. Do you know the origin of the Dodgers nickname? Why the Brooklyn Dodgers were called that and now the LA Dodgers? I do know that. The train Dodgers, the, the train Dodgers. Yes. Oh, I'm so proud of you. This is, see, we're going to be fast friends. That's, that is outstanding that you know that. <laughs> a little, I know a little. Oh, tro- I love I that. The trolley, not the, the trolley Dodgers. That's it. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah because- <laughs> When they were being named, originally the Dodgers were called the Bridegrooms, the Brooklyn Bridegrooms. I did not know that. Yeah. And so obviously needed a new name. 
and um yeah, it was cultural <laughs> it was cultural at the time in brooklyn apparently the way it was all set up there was no linear path for the trolley so they're yeah. just crisscrossing and people were yeah. routinely getting killed <laughs> uh which obviously not funny but it's is funny that the origin of the story the history came of it that. i yeah, know that's wow yeah it's really cool that's a huge pull right there, Mrs. Jacobs. Huge pull. Super proud of you. See, that's I, that's, hey, a, that's a Georgia education. Up. If I'm going to go on a sports podcast, <laughs> I better know a thing or two. That's it. That's it. That's that <laughs> Georgia education. And speaking yeah. speaking of that, and speaking of the foundation that you had, let's talk about the, let's say, courage and bravery, and also the ability to look in the face of fear to become an entrepreneur and start your own business. So tell us about the origin story of the cheeky peach. Yeah. Well, you forgot stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody needs to know about all that. Um, Courage you know, and bravery. <laughs> and stupidity. Um, no, I think, listen, like all those odd jobs that I worked, I learned a lot about people and I just had a lot of horrible bosses and I learned so much about, I thought, you know, if these people can do it and be successful, I think I can do this, which stupidity. Um, but in, in all reality, when I, I started working and I was um, selling jewelry, I just realized like I had a knack for sales and connecting people with products. And I was like, you know, I've always loved fashion. Um, I, it's always just been something that's been an undercurrent in my life. I love to dress up, you know, just one of those things, but it never, I had always thought that wasn't a serious career in terms of like, it just never seemed like something that could be sustainable. And then one of my teammates, Ashley Slocum, she had started her business head over heels in Macon, a great shoe store that she's been in business for 15 years now. And I called her, the economy was so, 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 so bad. And I thought, you know, I mean, maybe this is a time to kind of pull the trigger and, and get into business for myself and like, think about ways that I could do this. So I called Ashley and I said, this is again, teammates. I mean, right. And Ashley helped me like in so many ways, she's like, Katie, do it. And she was an animal science major. And I was like, okay, you know, because I was thinking maybe I need to go back to school. And at that time, like, oh my gosh, it was just going to be so expensive. And I was like, Mm -hmm. um, my dad and my father-in-law are both entrepreneurs and they're like the best learnings you'll get are in those first two years, like, you know, just kind of jump in somewhere. So, Long story short, I started writing my business plan. And um, then in in 2010, I went in, um, I made some connections. I I was going and like having lunch with some of the banks in town and just trying to get a feel for what that looked like. And uh, one of my other, you know, connections are everything. And I preach this with entrepreneurship. Um, You like, she's now one of my best friends. She's been my personal banker since I opened Cheeky, but I sat down with her and I remember her name's Una. It's an Irish name. And I remember being being like, how do you like writing it down? Like, who's this person I need to connect with? And like getting her card at the bank. And I'm like, oh no, luckily I got her voicemail the first time and she pronounced (laughs) it. I left her a message. Um, So sat down with a bank and and I got a $25,000 loan, secured it and uh, started with like nothing. And, you know, I painted, my first store on Hull Street around the corner from where I am sitting right now was 850 square feet. And we painted it in the summer with no air conditioning because I was afraid I to pay that bill, you know, and I, you know, getting up on ladders, painting, my husband would come after coaching at night and we would, you know, like try and paint until it got too dark and, you know, buying like the junkiest fixtures and just try to like spruce them up and put them in and start selling clothes. But the thing that always that, that when, what I understood is that I wasn't selling clothing and and I, I couldn't define it until later. I wasn't selling clothing. I wanted to sell the experience. So Mm -hmm. what I learned was that people really wanted to feel special and they wanted to walk into a store and be recognized and tell their story and have the clothing match that lifestyle. And that was really what I was good at. And so I didn't have to have like initially the best knowledge of, of buying or product or whatever, like I knew fashion and loved it, but it was really connecting people with products I was passionate about and understanding the importance of that connection. So I tell everybody here that comes on and trains, I'm like, you don't sell clothing, you sell an experience, mm-hmm. the music, the cleanliness, the product mix, the buying, the, the selling, the, the caring for people. And over the course of, I'll be in business 13 years in August, I've seen people through every transition of life. And that is 
honestly, one of the greatest honors of my life that people have brought me into their journeys and I've been able to style them for, for so many years. So I don't take that honor lightly. And I take, um, that what we do here very seriously. So, um, it's been a great journey and that was a very long answer to a short question. So I'm sorry. Nope. for rambling. <laughs> that That's precisely the answer I want because I, it kind of leads perfectly into what I want to know now. And that is, I don't know that the fear ever goes away. No. But when did it hit you that, hey, this is going to work? Like, we're doing something that people are into, and this is actually going to sustain itself. And like, we're going to get to keep doing this. I don't feel like I've ever, I, I don't ever take, I still feel like I'm always like, tomorrow could be the last day. I've had mm-hmm. a collapse, and I've had, I've survived COVID pandemic shutdown, and I still mm-hmm. am what's the next thing that could take me out? Like you, I think the fear in entrepreneurship, you can't let it, like you have to almost love riding that wave and Mm -hmm. being scared because you, it also keeps complacency at bay. Um, meaning that if you're fearful of like everything being gone tomorrow, you will always work your hardest and you will never become complacent and you will never say, well, that's just good enough okay, well, that's fine. I'll, I'll let that go. You're not willing to let things slide because you understand the importance of everything. I'm a really good small business owner. I don't think I would be a really good, you know, um, huge scale multi-major. It's just, I really like the nitty gritty of it. And I like being involved in that. And um, so, yeah, I think the fear is just always there and it's learning how to mitigate that fear. You can't, even when the pandemic hit, we just bought our dream house we moved the week of Christmas and then, you know, in, by March, uh, the world shut down and we were mm-hmm. like, Oh, this is really, really terrifying. Um, and it became, how do we keep selling clothes? How do we keep the dial, you know, moving forward and not let the fear just, cause it was scary every single morning, every mm-hmm. morning. um, like it was for everybody else. So. But I do think that's a beautiful piece of your story too. And that's your ability to be nimble and tell our listeners what you did to kind of flip that situation and use things like social media to keep your clientele engaged and to increase eyeballs on your business. When we realized that that was not going to be a short lockdown, um, we started having some bigger conversations and I, so I was coming to work with two people every day, three people, actually. Um, we came to work every day, Monday through Friday and Natalie, who's one of my best friends and, um, did all of our marketing. We called her, her official role was curator of chaos. Um, (laughs) one day I came in and we were just sort of like trying to suss it out. Like what the, you know, what the heck is going to happen? And she's like, Katie, I want you to look at this. And she pulled up this survivorship theory And the idea is that, um, and I'm going to completely bungle this, but um, planes were coming back um, in World War II and, you know, everyone was reinforcing where they were seeing bullet holes. And one specific engineer was like, whoa, 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 guys, we need to start reinforcing where not seeing bullet holes because those are the planes that are going down. Mm -hmm. So my immediate, like, I remember I went home that night. I, you know, took care of my kids. I took a bath and it was like light bulb. We have to reinforce the parts of the business where we're not seeing the holes. Obviously Mm -hmm. the hole is that no one can walk in the door, you know? So let's start reinforcing elsewhere. So what we did the next day, we flipped the floor. We turned our operation into a warehouse and we started selling completely because our viewership was through the roof on social Mm -hmm. media home and had nothing to do. We took everything and flipped it on its head. We turned everything into a warehouse. I said, let's get liquid. Let's sell down. Let's get cash in. So we Mm -hmm. let's get this inventory out. Cause if we're sitting on it for three months, when we reopen, we also want to honor those POs and honor my vendors who are some of my dear friends and Mm -hmm. have kids. So let's try and get some, some movement through this business. So that's what we did. And we ended up having this crazy, like ride of survival. And 
I think came out better for it. And people still come into the store and are like, I like you guys, like your positivity and just keeping things moving and having something new to do. It was like, it really helped me. And I'm like, that's really cool. You know, I mean, we're just selling clothes. We're not doing anything particularly earth shattering, but I think that's a, that's a really neat byproduct of what was happening. So. But the survivorship theory was so unique because it really, I think you're looking for, I'm a solutions person. Like if something Mm -hmm. happens, we need to find a solution. And that was, that was really helpful. Well, I think part of this too, is you have a keen sense of marketing and that became very evident during that time. I mean, we were following you guys through that and it was awesome to kind of watch it mature and and take root and go. And I'll tell you another piece of y'all's marketing that we love. It's one of the things we look forward to during football season. Cheeky Peach, home of the greatest game day week signs in all of the classic city. (laughs) There's so much pressure on our signs. I know. It's awesome, though. I know. So what what was the genesis of that? When was like, oh, we should do this. This will be this will be fun. I don't think, I think it just kind of organically came up. Like I think Natalie and I were just like, let's put something funny on the sign. And then people were just freaking out over it and stopping <laughs> pictures and like, I mean, just loving it. And we just realized like, this is a whole subculture of cheeky yeah. peace. And it's something, it's so funny. People just still talk about it. anyway. Um, so then we were like, well, let's get everybody else involved. Like let's make this a contest every week where we give away a gift card and the best sign wins. And the submissions are wild. Like <laughs> sometimes we're like, dang, that's brutal. You know? um, it's, but it's, it's become such a fun. I actually, we were having a marketing meeting this morning and um, with one of my new hires. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, I just can't wait for football season. The sign. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. I'm glad you love that. Thank you. Yeah, we do. We do. Yeah. We love that. We love your story and, and love your business. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're just, we're so thankful for you sharing everything with us. We want to close with you today. What we do with all of our guests, we do something called the smart 16. So 16 fast questions in honor of coach smart and the number he wore during his playing days. Some of these we have had to change because <laughs> of certain circumstances. So we're just going to roll with it and I'll tell you which ones we've changed. Okay. Okay. All right. So first one, let's do, what's your middle name? Let's do what's your, your maiden middle name was. Um, so this is a technicality. I go by Katie Foley Jacobs. Technically, I when I changed my name, I was so young, I didn't realize you could keep your middle name. So on my social security net card, I'm Catherine Elizabeth Jacobs, but I'm going to get that changed. I'm also like, I think I'm just going to change my name to Katie when I do that. So technically, but I go by, I'm Catherine with a C, Elizabeth Jacobs, but I go by Katie with a K, Foley Jacobs. Oh, that's so funny. I always ask I have a stage name. It's embarrassing. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) I always ask Katie's that I remember I E or Y when I first meet him because my baby sister is Katie with a Y. Oh, is she Catherine? Yeah, she is. Yeah. She's always, she's like, I never can find my name on the gas station license plate keyhole. It's such a bummer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She gets fired up. It's a stick point. (laughs) Okay. Um, you can answer two on this, given that your husband is one, but who is your favorite dog of all time? Generally, these are football player answers, but get, given that your husband was a, was a dog athlete, we, we would understand if that was the choice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would say him. <laughs> he was pretty fun to watch. And yeah. he, you actually need to talk to him because he caught the amount of games he caught from his senior year. Like, I think he, he started every I'm going to screw the statistic up. I think he started every single game and then he went straight into short season a ball and like caught every single game. He, the amount of games he caught in a row, it's like insane. Well, after researching and reading your story, I was like, Oh, we're going to have to have him on too, because we've had, we had coach Strickland and we've had Cole Wilcox and that's our only two baseball guests. He, you need to have him. He's yeah. Yeah. His story is insane. Yeah. Yeah. We would love that. We would love that. Okay. What is the, uh, your favorite dogs game that you've ever attended? Tennessee hands down. I mean, I, this year. Yes. Yeah. That was, I got honored at that game. It was the electric. I mean, it rival. I was like, I think I liked, uh, we had a disaster of a wedding because we got the, everyone got the norovirus. So, you know, this is, this is, but I was like, I feel like I just had like a wedding. Like it was, yeah such a high, the the high of that, the fourth quarter when it was the loudest and pouring rain. Yeah. You can't top that. You know, you just can't top that energy. 
Yeah, I feel like, too, it was one of those games where as high as the wave has been the last two years, that felt like the biggest week of doubt in a lot of ways. And, like, yep. nobody was putting any respect on that chill. name. Yeah. And so, chill. like, it, the way they came out and the way that game ended up going – it was just so awesome. Like It was so yeah. awesome. And yeah. I think being a Georgia fan, you know, the self-doubt, you know, like what it's, you know, what it is to be a Georgia fan. And then yeah. the knowing of that week, we all were like, this is not happening the way you mm-hmm. think it's going to happen. And we exactly. All, you know, as fans, we knew what was going to happen. And I think that knowing and that energy and the collective of the players and the fans and how every, it was just like, it felt like we were all one big team. It was the coolest thing I've ever, it's one of the coolest things I've ever experienced in athletics. Let me tell you the moment I knew it was going to go like that. When the audio released of Kirby at practice using all them non-church words. Oh yeah. Yep. <laughs> I said, I said, yep. the Vols have no idea what's about to hit them on Saturday at 3.30. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so I knew they were going to be ready. Okay, speaking of the Vols, what is your favorite rivalry that the dogs have? I mean, for equestrian, it's uh, Auburn. <laughs> Auburn's always been, and my best friend is a huge, one of my closest friends is a huge Auburn fan, and she trolls me relentlessly. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Auburn for equestrian, for, um, I mean, God, all of them, I want everyone to lose. I just, yeah. like, as a Georgia fan, it's like, who's coming this year that thinks they're better than us? Let's, yeah. you know, it, last year it was Tennessee, some years it's Auburn, some years it's Florida. I mean, it just, you know, it rotates. Okay, what is your favorite away stadium in the Southeastern Conference? You know, I haven't been to that many. I really, I couldn't. How is Kentucky? I've heard that's a fun road trip to take, like when the dogs play there. Um, You know, we were so, <laughs> I was there during the Jared Lorenzen times. Um, it's just, Kentucky is just different. It's, it's such yeah. a different culture of football, but I mean, it's fun. It's fun. I just, I haven't been to enough stadiums. I feel like to give you a good answer for that. The um, yeah, I feel like we've we've been to Knoxville, which was it was yeah. okay. Neelan was, I mean, you know, Neelan's experience because of the size. The one we really want to check off the list, we want to go to Baton Rouge and go Death Valley. Um, yeah, we've we, heard it's uh, just a time. Uh, so, but we got when we went. My husband and I went. We got rocked. I mean, it was what year was that? Twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen? Oh yeah, twenty nine. Yeah, twenty nineteen. Was it twenty? It was so brutal. Oh, twenty? No, it was, was it, yeah, twenty eighteen. It was, was the it year 18? that was their only regular season loss. Yes, twenty eighteen. That's was, right. I mean, mm. being in that stadium and getting just completely crushed. It was one of the worst experiences. <laughs> I bet. Was, I get that. And those fans are brutal. Oh my god, it was bad. We've we've talked after we've gone to games like we went to Knox when they lost. We're like, you know, I feel like we need to go to games when Georgia's not playing there to get a real, yes, like true valuation yeah. of what we think Because if you lose, you're like, I hate that stadium forever. But, yeah, Worst and that's kind of that's kind of how we feel about Neyland. We're always like, yeah, we have like no good memories of that whole experience. So I get yeah. that. I totally yeah. get that. Okay, well, I may know the answer given your answer to number three, but what is the loudest home game you've ever attended between the hedges? Tennessee. Yeah. All right. You get to choose the headlining act at the Georgia theater. Who do you choose? Oh gosh. You know, I would say like this week, not this week, um, um, it'd be a toss up between Leon Bridges and John Mayer. Oh, both good. I'm dying to see Leon Bridges live. And I'm also dying to go see John Mayer with his like solo tour. Yeah. Like, those are like my summer spring jams. They're always playing in my house. So, I mean, Leon Bridges, I just think is such an epic artist too. So, I mean, not the John Mayer, but Leon Bridges is just like another world. I think the beauty of Georgia theater too, is like, it's just such a perfect size for that craft. Intimacy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, we saw Jason Isbell shortly after Southeastern dropped and mm-hmm. I was pregnant like big pregnant. Um, I had my son a month later. So we got there at doors and they would let you in up at the, from the rooftop. So we got yeah. there the minute they opened that door, we like, I like hobbled down. We got seats. Cause I had to sit. I was so pregnant yeah. right at the railing that overlooked the stage and listening to Jason Isbell sing, cover me up live right after it dropped in, it felt like church. 
It yeah. was just one of, from a musical standpoint, one of the most beautiful moments. I will remember that the rest of my life. It was un stinking real. Yeah. Yeah. Live music has just, I don't know. It's got a certain je ne sais quoi about it that Absolutely. You, just, you can't really put your finger on. I, yeah. One of my favorite memories, my wife and I went to a writers and round show at the Bluebird Cafe in Nashville. Oh, wow. Oh, it was, it was just incredible. Like coolest two hours ever. And just, I love um, watching people live in their light and do what they're supposed to do Absolutely. and watching those four individuals sit there and do that, man, it was just so inspiring. Kind of makes you want to chase it down. That's a great way of putting it, watching someone live in there like that to, to wit, to, to bear witness to that is like, Mm -hmm. you know, something special is going on and the fact that you be part of it or, or just watch it happen is just, um, I think that's what life's about. Those experiences, valuing that experience is really important. Yeah. Okay, what is the cocktail you're mixing for the world's largest outdoor cocktail party? I make a spiraling upward. It's um, a drink I had at the National, and it's um, vodka, soda, a little splash of beet juice, a little habanero honey, and a twist of lime. Oh, I think my- It's a restorative cocktail, spiraling yeah. upward. <laughs> might have to i may have to try and make that for, for my so wife good. she's a big fan of different cocktails so i may have to put that into the rotation i like that it's great for spring and summer all right i don't want to get you in trouble with anybody but i'm going to pin you down to one if you could only eat one meal at one place in all of athens where would it be that's hard. i know it's an impossible question <laughs> um probably oysters at sea bear oh that's a good answer yeah yeah, or that's pa- a good answer. Pasta at expat. That's my other favorite. Okay. I like those both those answers. Those two. But do number one. Do you have any game day superstitions? Outfits you gotta wear, things you gotta do, anything like that? A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, my poor my poor son, he was like, Mom, this jersey's too small. I was like, You're wearing it. We won last year. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, I like I had this one this black like pajama onesie um that I was wearing in um 2019. Anyway, and then that had to get thrown out. It's just like, yeah, I have mm-hmm. definite um Yes. I'm, you know, baseball is so superstitious and I wasn't really, I was like a little superstitious with riding stuff, like certain pieces of tack and certain, like I always wore this coat and one or whatever, but, um, baseball is so superstitious. So yeah. like really becomes part of like who you are. And then, yeah. So certainly with football, we are definitely, yeah. Like it's, it's a lot of like, what are you wearing? You have to be in your Jersey, you know, that kind of stuff. One of our favorite quotes that we cite often is Julian Edelman always says, I'm not superstitious, but I'm a little stitious. <laughs> I love him so much. He is a riot. Like that dude. He is, is so funny. funny. His po- the little bit, I need to subscribe to his podcast is so good. Yeah. He, he, he's a time man. He's funny. So yeah, we love that. I'm a little stitious. Yeah. Well, I'm a little stitious. Yeah. Do you have okay. any? Are you superstitious? Well, so what we, what I used to do is I would pretty much wear the same thing every weekend. Um, but now I've kind of feathered that out a little bit. I only have a couple that are hard and fast. I have this pair of obnoxious red Georgia football overalls. I wear that every year for the cocktail party without fail. So result independent. I always wear that. Gotcha. Um, and I generally, if there is like something that happens that's momentous and we did something or went somewhere, we will try to revisit that. Like anytime we go to Atlanta, my brother and I go to the convention center and there's this bar that we take shots at and it's just become like a thing. That's what Um, you have to do. Yeah, exactly. And it just, in some ways it's like, it almost just almost makes it feel like game day to do those things. Right. Um, But yeah, I think it's just most of the shared experience piece of it. When we're in Athens, we have certain places that we like to go. Like I always go to Horton's and try to get a pair of $10 sunglasses day of game. Like that's a silly thing, but it's just (laughs) routine based too. Like sometimes it's superstition, but it's also like, I have a routine, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's really important too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right, staying on game day, what is your favorite Sanford Stadium pregame tradition? Whether it's 
you know, spelling out George at midfield or Larry Munson doing battle him or Brooke Whitmire telling everybody it's Saturday in Athens. What's your favorite thing about the the pregame experience or dog walk? We always leave that one out. That's a big one. Too. Yeah. I mean, you know, this isn't really my favorite thing to do. We moved into town, like I told you, and I love to load my kids up and walk down like through downtown and campus and mm-hmm. like my kids barking at Auburn fans and them getting all tore up about it. Just yeah. like, I think that teaching indoctrinating them mm-hmm. into the culture and having the ability to do that because we live here mm-hmm. is my favorite. And like, as my oldest gets a little older, like this year, um, and it's, it's just these little without like taking too long. It's just these little, like teaching them little things about mm-hmm. the culture of Georgia football is my new, yeah, is my new favorite tradition. Um, there are all those great things you mentioned and like all the things we do, but walking like that specifically, like we, we brew coffee, we have a big breakfast, we turn on college game day, everybody gets in their jerseys that are way too small for them. And then we go walk through town and just like get get in the culture and teach them about what it is to be a Georgia Bulldog and why it's, and we find ourselves telling so many stories about our experiences. Yeah. So it's, it's this really cool um, tradition for us. That's like kind of a growing tradition. It's cool. Yeah. that That's outstanding. And yeah. you know, it's such a, what a great environment for your kids to grow up into, like not just Athens, but UGA is, is so magnificent. And I mean, we're partial to North campus. I love North campus. I just think it is, it's such a treasure. And, you know, to your point, one of the things we love doing now, my brother and I try to take my big kids to a game each year and we take them to Hurdy and we'll throw football. And um, we do this thing now and we take them to the games where every time Georgia scores, we give them the amount of peanut M&Ms that Georgia has scored points for. Brilliant. Well, we did it to start to keep them engaged, right? So they would be into it. And now it's become like a thing where even when we're watching it at home, my kids would be like, did you buy peanut M&Ms? And so like, I don't know. And they'll like, they'll pass that down. Like you're creating those traditions I love yeah. that about athletics I think that's yeah. so that's so important too is yeah. like making these little traditions um oh dang I was gonna tell you something about that but yeah I I, I love that I mean, can I borrow that I think a lot yes, of people feel that 100 <laughs> yes 100 it works great yeah um okay black jerseys yes or no love them black's yeah. my favorite color yeah we love we love them too they're so sharp yeah. and they're so sharp I, even though he won't say it, I think Kirby's a, a little stitious too. So he seems a little hesitant to ride that wave, but yeah, out, I get man. it. I think, I, you know, like, listen, at the end of the day, I, and I think it's from seeing like my husband play and like being different and you, and then you see, there's no real, you know what I mean? Like yeah. there's no, it, real, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't. As I tell you that my kids have to wear jerseys that are. Just- <laughs> yeah, that's right. But I do. I do. I have to say though, I do love, I mean, the black just looks so sharp. You know, it's so sharp, and it's it's one of the colors. Like I think it'd be different if it was like some alt color, but like they're the red and black. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. tell you one of the worst things being in fashion in this town. On Wednesday, you know, we have to order in advance what we're gonna have in terms of stock, and then you'll find out. I don't know why Georgia does this. Wednesday, they're like, we're gonna have a blackout. We're gonna have a yeah. red out, and you're like, okay, we have 40 red dresses in right now. Thanks for the heads up. You know, right, then right. You've got this rush on the store, and everyone's like, I need a black dress. It's gonna be a blackout or a red out. I need a red something. You're just like, wow, that's the one thing that I didn't have this week, you know? Yeah. I'm like, we need an advanced schedule. You guys need to get ahead of this. Can the athletic department please coordinate with Cheeky Peach so we can take care of this? Let's let's get this on the docket. Is that too much to ask? (laughs) I mean, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. All right. What is the loss you're still not over? Oh, that Louis going all the way to leaving my kids, organizing that whole trip, and then going to that stadium and getting beat down. I'm still, every time I think about it, I get mad in Louisiana. <laughs> going yep. to Baton Rouge and just getting beat up and like not even having one moment where we were like, we could win. No, yeah. we were getting whooped and their fans were just so awful. That's a good point. That game was never like, oh, we may, we may be able to pull this off. It was just a butt kicking from start to finish, no, which a, is the worst. Then, I mean, like you can't talk about that without talking about Alabama. I mean, I think yeah. everybody is like, but that's like, that's like the big heartbreak that we can't even talk. You know, it's like, we've got, yeah. 
I've, I'm yeah. married now. I've gotten past that. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> like I've we made on. right. We made right. right. So, exactly. I, but like from the standpoint of like all the coordination as a parent, which you know, to travel and take mm-hmm. time away from your kids. And we all just, we were in New Orleans the night before, like we're going to win this just so. Yeah. Fun. So. All right. This question has changed. It used to be, what's your order at the varsity? But we said until they reopen one in Athens, we will no longer ask the question. So we have now shifted it to how do you order your hash browns at the Waffle House? Uh, What's the the onion one is smothered and covered cheese and onions. And I want to double and make it a double. Yes. Yes, please. When I was pregnant with my second son, Waffle House, that was I had to have it like all the time that that was on the reg. All right. There ought to be a constitutional amendment outlawing noon kickoffs. Yes or no? Okay. <laughs> Are you going to answer this as fan Katie and business owner? Katie? So that's what I'm trying to figure out. So um, business owner Katie kind of hates it because um, people come in for the day and we want people to stay overnight. We want them to shop all weekend. If it's a seven yes. o'clock game, my favorite people shop all day. Cause they can't drink mm-hmm. all day. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the people, um, they're able to shop that aren't drinking all day. <laughs> um, yeah. and they stay over. So they come, they make a day of it on Sunday too. So those are my favorite games for, as a parent, the 12 o'clock game, I love because, um, my kids get to watch the whole game and we don't have to worry about bedtimes and all of that. Um, yeah, I mean, as a business and then, you know, the weather component as a business owner is always a thing. So it can be a 12 o'clock game, but if it's really hot, we'll get a ton of business. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I I mean, yeah, eh, I kind of like when I see them on the schedule, I'm like, Oh, you know, what's your feeling? So I'm the same. I've gone back and forth on this. I, I used to loathe them because it felt like, my college football day was over too soon. And so oh. I hated, I hated that part about it. Yeah. Um, but now to your point, I kind of love a noon kick because it allows us, we live in Charleston. So like I can bring my kids Friday. We hang out Friday night, Friday yeah. morning. They're up early anyway. So I got a full morning with them. We yeah. go to the ball game. They're in it and engaged. And if we choose, I can still be home with them Saturday night. Yeah. So it's one of those back and forth. I will say, I think some of me is opponent dependent. Like, look, if we're playing Kent state, you know, I don't really care if it's a noon game or not, but if they're playing Auburn or Tennessee or Alabama, I need it to be three 30 or seven or something just because of the, I need the buildup and the juice. And I want the full day of the anticipation and all that ceremony around it. It's like kickoff. You're like, I, I mean, by the time my parent brain is like, you know, I'm yeah. like, I, you know, like I told you the routine of it. It's like, oh, we can't do any of that. It's a noon kick. Yeah. So, um, but my kids get to, you know, see the whole game. So it's, yeah, it's hard. But, um, but I think for the pageantry of the thing, you know, mm-hmm. it's better to have an afternoon or, or evening. Yeah. The, the noon feels like the whole, the whole experience is rushed. Whereas yeah. Yeah. I feel like three yeah. thirty or even an evening kick, you kind of get to breathe it all in and feel yeah. like you get to do all the things you want to do and see all the people you want to see. So that's right. That's yeah. Right. Hit, hit or miss on both. But yeah, that, yeah. that's kind of where I'm at. On it. All right. Last question. And this okay. one's also changed. We used to ask, this was before it changed. We used to ask college football playoff, expand to eight teams or find how it is. Now we ask, do you like the shift to 12 teams or would you have rather they stayed at four? I just think you, like you open yourself up to muddy the waters and like a team can come in that just really doesn't deserve to be there. I I mean, you know, like, listen, I'm not the college football. Like I, I I don't know everything about it, but like my sense is that anytime you open the field up that much, you're kind of, and I hate to say it because then at that point, okay, you're, you're winning against, you know, and you've earned, I don't know. I mean, I, I just think, I think that's too much. I think it's too many. And, and, the, the ability, the ability for, an, uh, but then if it's an upset, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really hard. We, we've it's, gone back and forth on it. And I think, I mean, I understand why they did 12. It's, it's always about the money. Right. And they're, they're dealing with conferences wanting to get TV payouts and all that kind of stuff. And I, you know, I understand all the business mechanics of it. And, and that's why a lot of the stuff that's happened with college football has happened, but 
I also loved the 14 format. I thought it was great. And I thought it was still meaningful to get in. You know, like it felt like you had to have had a really special year to get in. You're not diluting. Um, Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Um, I do love the piece of the 12 team where there's going to be on campus playoff games. I think that's cool. I wish they would have expanded it to two rounds for that. Yes. Um, Agreed. But but yeah, I, I, it's going to be very interesting. And at the end of the day, we always kind of rationalize this. Hey, look, if it means more college football, I'm not going to be upset about that. Sure. But it's going to take a little bit of getting used to, I think, yeah, for absolutely. the expansion piece of it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, you're off the hot seat. You're, you've completed the um, Smart wait, 16. I, have to sh- I wore it backwards. Um, I wanted to flip it for you. Oh, that's not You can't see my face. It's hard to see on a camera, but I had to wear my natty daddies for you. Oh, that's outstanding. We love that. Speaking <laughs> of that, before we let you go, please tell our listeners everywhere they can support you and support the Cheeky Peach. Yeah. Um, so you can come by 160 West Clayton Street. Uh, we're open seven days a week, 10 to 6 Monday through Saturday and 12 to 5 on Sunday. So please um, come by and shop. You can also Um, we do a lot of personal styling all over the country. Uh, we don't have an e-commerce website. We prefer to keep it a very personalized experience. So, um, we have weekly try-ons. We had one yesterday. We do a lot of fun stuff through our Instagram story, our Facebook and our, um, all of our messages. I have tons of clients that I style truly from like East coast to West coast for all of their occasions. And we make it a really, really fun and personalized experience. So, um, slide into our DMs or our messages on Instagram or Facebook at Cheeky Peach. Um, You can also book a styling session. We have a lot of folks who come in for game days that book styling sessions um, over those weekends or on Fridays. So um, shopcheekypeach.com is a great way to do that and learn more about us. And um, yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at KJXCP, um, my stage name. And (laughs) uh, yeah, I think that's every way. Yeah. All right, perfect. And we will link all of that in our show notes. So if Thank you were you listening, so make sure and go and follow Katie and support the Cheeky Peach. Um, if you have listened to this episode and you are not a total advocate for her and her business, I don't know what's wrong with you. Aww. She's obviously a damn good dog. And Aww, we are Seth, certainly appreciative so of you coming home and sharing your story. So you're Absolutely. welcome back anytime. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. It was just a blast to talk. I mean, talking about Georgia for, you know, an hour out of my days, uh, that, that's a damn good day. <laughs> That's right. You got that right. Well, look, as we close all of our shows, go dogs, sick them. Go dogs, sick them.